Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that uh, you have preserved for us the very teachings of your Son, Jesus, in the, in the Bible, and that we can look at those teachings today and learn from Jesus. And I pray that you would give us open hearts and open minds to hear and understand the things that we read in your Word. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so the guy in this uh, picture right here, this is Nshuti Jackson, and uh, he lives in Kigali, the capital city of Rwanda, and he was the second Rwandan boy that my family and I sponsored through Compassion International. Um, we sponsored him all through his school years, right through high school, even into his first year uh, of college, and... Um, in, uh, uh, he graduated from the University of Rwanda in 2019 with a degree in business administration, and he works at the Bank of Kigali. And this is in a country where less than 4% of the population of Rwanda has any college education. Um, in, in October of 2015, I was kind of surprised, I don't know why I was so surprised, but I was surprised that I got a Facebook friend request from uh, Nshuti, when he was still in college, of course, and uh, he had been out of the, uh, the Compassion program for a little while, and he, uh, he connected with me. And we have been uh, occasionally in touch ever since, uh, ever since 2015. So sometimes people wonder whether these kids that you sponsor through these sponsorship programs are, are real or are they just props that are being used by the charities in order to raise money. Um, and I can assure you that they are 100% real kids. And not only that, but I can assure you that you are really connected to them and you can communicate back and forth with them and they know who you are and you know who they are and, um, and it is a, a, a real, person who you are helping and making a real difference in their lives. And Shuti is now, he's a Christian man, he's well-educated, he's living for God in a country where, according to the World Bank, uh, Rwanda um, aspires to become a middle-income nation by 2035. And, uh, and, and educated local businessmen like Nshuti uh, will make a difference in a country like Rwanda as they seek to raise up out of poverty. And uh, measured by the Rwandan national poverty line, poverty declined in, in Rwanda from 77% of the population were below the poverty line in uh, 2001. And they moved it up to where only 55% are in poverty in 2017. So the country is making progress and things are getting better there. And obviously our sponsorship of, of one guy was a drop in the bucket for the whole country. But these kinds of programs can be a huge help to the kids that are, are, are sponsored and who have that opportunity to come up out of poverty. But they also can be a big help to the nations where these sponsored children grow up and are then able to be... Um, be a, a, a help to their whole society. So Nshuti Jackson and men and women like him are making a difference in Rwanda. And through my family's sponsorship, we were able to make a difference in his life. And you 
can make a similar distance, difference in the life of children around the world through child sponsorship. And essentially all it takes to accomplish a good work like this is a wise investment of some money. Because money is a powerful thing in our world. That means you can do a lot of good with money. But it also means it can be dangerous, right? There are spiritual dangers around money. And the Bible has quite a bit of, uh, uh, to say about that, about the dangers of money and the good things that can be accomplished with it. One of the great uh, general warning statements is from the book of 1 Timothy, where in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, it says, uh, let's see, starting with verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now this passage is often misquoted. People say that it says uh, money is the root of all evil, which is not what it says. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, right? Uh, but while we always want to make certain that we are quoting the Bible correctly and, uh, and accurately, and that it's still true that uh, a root of all kinds of evil, that's not as bad as, uh, as the root of all evil, right? But it's still pretty bad. So let's not lose the meaning as we correct the misquote, right? Um, Wanting lots of money causes people to fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It says people that are eager for money have wandered from the faith. That's a pretty drastic and scary warning. Even if it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. <laughs> Right? Money is spiritually dangerous because money is powerful. It can be used to do good things like giving kids like Nshuti Jackson a chance to rise up out of poverty, but it can also lead, to, or lead us to wander from the faith. So we're going to spend most of our time today in uh, the Gospel of Luke looking at some of what Jesus taught about Money, where he gave uh, some warnings. And so you might want to turn there in your Bible now. Um, this was part of Luke is, uh, is from a time in Jesus' life when he was very popular. Uh, lots of people were coming to see him, lots of crowds and things. In fact, at the beginning of the chapter, it says there were so many people that were trampling each other to get close to Jesus. And uh, in the midst of all that crowd and, and, uh, and, and things that were going around there, uh, Somebody in the crowd managed to get close enough to call out to Jesus from the crowd and make a request of him. And we find that in verse 13, where it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you? 
Now, it was actually a normal thing in this culture of those days uh, for uh, religious teachers to be the ones who would help to settle disputes over uh, different things like this, and, make, and they would give judgments. So the crowd would not have been surprised at all at this request that this guy made of Jesus. What would have been surprising was Jesus' response. Because Jesus does not want to get involved in this particular case. Instead, what Jesus does is he takes this opportunity to give some general teaching uh, and warnings about money. So here's what he said. Uh, Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He says, watch out and be on your guard. And that's a little bit different than, uh, than simply saying, don't be greedy. Right? Jesus makes it sound like there's a danger that, that, that it might sneak up on you and jump you when you're not paying attention. Because you might be greedy and not even realize it. I bet the guy uh, who came to Jesus asking for him to, uh, to help negotiate a better uh, settlement with his brother, he probably didn't think he was greedy. But Jesus seems to have seen through to his real motives. And the same kind of thing is a real danger for me. See, I have taken this warning seriously, and I try to watch out and be on my guard. And guess what? Every now and then, I notice, oh, there is some uh, greed happening in my, in my heart, and I need to uh, put an end to that. Because, see, I want a nicer house, and I want designer clothes, and I want a newer car. Have you seen the new mid-engine Corvette? It is awesome. Um, and I want a full suspension carbon fiber Santa Cruz mountain bike. And maybe for you it's something different. Maybe, maybe but, but you have to, all have to admit, that's a beautiful bike right there. Um, but see, one of the things that, that makes greed sneaky and dangerous is that it's not too difficult to justify all these kinds of desires. So how can you tell the difference between a normal desire and a greed? How do I know if my desire for an $8,000 Santa Cruz Hightower is greed? And yes, that bike is $8,000, which sounds like a lot, right? But hey, that's only half as much as a new Polaris snow machine. And it's only one third as much as a side-by-side. See how easy it is to justify your things? So again, how can I tell the difference? How can I tell if my desires constitute foolish, sinful greed or are acceptable desires? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's not easy to know. Um, Some people have defined greed in terms of an excessive desire to have more than we need or deserve. But that's not really a very solid definition, right? Uh, What's more than we need? Um, Is it it foolish greed for me to want to pay an extra 50 cents to get guacamole on my Subway sandwich? I don't really need guacamole, right? 
That's desiring something I don't really need. So our, our definition needs to be a little more sophisticated than just wanting something that you don't need, right? But it's hard to really nail it down. So you just need to, when you have a, a, a desire for something that you want to buy or, or a, um, for, for more money or something, you just talk to God about it, think about it, reflect on it, and, uh, and, and, and figure out whether or not it is um, appropriate desires or inappropriate greed. And that difficulty in recognizing greed is part of why Jesus tells us to watch out and be on your guard, right? Because greed can sneak into our lives disguised as justifiable desires to enjoy nice things. So here's my first big application today. To watch out and be on your guard, we need to have a regular practice of honest self-evaluation to try to recognize greed among our desires. A regular practice of honest self-evaluation. Jesus continues his discussion of greed for a while here in Luke 12, and he starts with a great parable. Um, so let's, let's continue on to see what else we can learn from him here in this, uh, in this story. Verse 16, it says, uh, And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So that's, that's the scenario. That's the setup of the story. A wealthy man has an extra large season of income. Right? He was already a wealthy man, and now he has way more than what he needs. So much so that his multiple barns can't even hold it all. And we know that this kind of well, extra wealth is an opportunity Right? He's got an opportunity. There are a lot of options available for what to do with excess income that is more than what we need for our daily life. And the man in the parable decides that this money is an opportunity for him to take life easy, to eat, drink, and be merry as he enjoys his life of relaxation for many years. That doesn't sound too far off from what a lot of us kind of dream about, right? I mean, a lot of us, I think, we think uh, there's something like, oh boy, if I won the lottery, I'd quit my job, I'd take life easy, I'd eat, drink, and be merry for many years. I'd get an $8,000 mountain bike, and I'd go down to Moab, and I'd just have a great... But in the parable, God himself gives his opinion of this way of using the opportunity of extra wealth. Here's what it says in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus gives the conclusion of the parable with his 
his statement of what's the moral of the story, Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, if you ever get to hear the voice of God address you directly, that'd be a pretty, pretty great experience, but you better hope that he doesn't address you as you fool. The way that this guy planned to spend his excess income by funding a life of leisure and pleasure for himself made him a fool in God's eyes. And Jesus says that this guy's problem was that he had stored up things for himself, but he was not rich toward God. Now, it's easy to see what it means to store up things for ourselves, right? But what does it mean to be rich toward God? Well, one thing we cannot do in this context is spiritualize this idea, right? To be rich toward God in this context is not spend a lot of time in prayer or uh, enter the memory verse challenge every month or, or you know, be, be a lead, lead a journey group. That's not what he's talking about here. This is about money. To be rich toward God is to invest your money in ways that God considers wise and not foolish. So let's keep on in the passage uh, and as Jesus continues teaching about money. Verse 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. And that, that last part is really parallel to what he said immediately before the warning about greed, where he said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We must not measure our success in life in terms of our financial success. The fact that you have money does not mean that you are successful in the eyes of God. Or the fact that you don't have money does not mean that you are not successful in the eyes of God. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. And then Jesus gives several examples from nature to illustrate the fact that God will take care of his people just as he takes care of the natural world. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Seek God's kingdom 
and God will take care of your financial needs. Does that mean that God will give you everything you want? Probably not. <laughs> but does it mean that you will never struggle financially? No. We know that even the Apostle Paul struggled financially, and it was not because he was not seeking the kingdom of God. But while it may be tough sometimes, God has promised that if we seek his kingdom, he will provide for our needs. We don't need to worry. We need to trust God, seek his kingdom, and be content with what he gives us. And then Jesus brings this whole section on money to, uh, to a climax. Here's what... Uh, here's, here's where he, he really tells us exactly what we need to do in order to be rich toward God. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here is where we see clearly what the man from the parable should have done. God declares that spending his money to provide a life of leisure and fun for himself was the act of a fool. What would have been the act of a wise man? To sell his possessions and give to the poor. But what happens if next year's crops don't come in so well? If he sold his possessions and gave to the poor, he will have squandered his chance to be financially secure. Well, what's Jesus' answer to that in this passage? We just read it. What, what does Jesus say to our need for financial security? It's verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom, and your financial needs will be provided. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then instead of a nice life here with a house that's, that's going to need a new roof in a few years anyway, or a car that's going to wear out pretty soon, or fancy clothes that are going to go out of style or shrink in the dryer, you'll have a treasure in heaven that will be eternal. Now, some of you who know your Bibles pretty well have been thinking something like this. You've been thinking, what translation is Pastor James using here? Because I know this verse, but it doesn't sound quite the way I remember it. And if you're thinking that, that's because you only think you remember this verse. Actually, what you're remembering is Matthew chapter 6, and this is Luke chapter 12. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous teachings. And here's, here's what it says there. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As you can see, that's really similar, uh, but not quite the same as what we just looked at. Luke 12 and Matthew 6 have variations 
of this saying of Jesus. And here's why. It's because Jesus taught on the same subject multiple times. And depending on the context and who he was speaking to that particular day, the saying came out a little bit different um, from one day when he taught it as opposed to another day when he taught a similar sermon. See, he was not trying to preach the exact same sermon that he preached the, the time before at the village down the road. Both Matthew and Luke have accurately reported Jesus' teaching, even though the two versions of this passage are not the same. Now, aside from explaining why there are two versions of this teaching in the Bible, what's the point of mentioning this? It shows that this was a common theme in Jesus' teaching. He didn't just talk about it the one time when that guy came and asked me about the inheritance or something, and, it, and so it happened to come up. This was something that Jesus taught about regularly. How we spend our money to store up treasures either on earth or, on or in heaven was something that Jesus liked to talk about. This was a big deal to him, and he came back to this topic multiple times. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to store up treasure. And we can choose to either store up treasure on earth or treasure in heaven. Store up treasure on earth, fund a life of leisure for yourself, and God will call you a fool. Use your worldly wealth to store up heavenly treasure, and God will give you a great return on your investment. So watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. But there is a treatment for greed. There is a, a practice that protects us from greed. It's called generosity. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Be generous toward those who have financial need. Use your money to seek the kingdom of God. Give people a hand up in the name of Jesus. And one great way to do that is through sponsoring kids, through compassion. Um, you can use your money to make a difference in the world. There's lots of ways to give, but they're not all created equal. Do you research good retirement investments to put your money into and avoid others that have a poor return on investment? Do the same thing with your charitable giving. Do some research. Figure out which places that you can give to are really going to, to, uh, to, to do the most good. So find out where they're really making the biggest income or biggest impact for the kingdom, and that's where you should be investing your giving. Now, how much should you be giving? I don't know. In the days of the nation of Israel, the people were told to uh, give a 10% tithe to the temple in Jerusalem. And our, our situation as Christians is a bit different than, the, than what they had in the ancient Jews. But that does seem like a good guideline to start from, something around a 10% tithe. But what do you think about the guy in Jesus' parable? It says that he had plenty stored up for many years of leisure. That's a significant amount of money that he had. 
So if he had given 10% of his income to the temple and spent the rest of it selfishly, do you think God would have been pleased with that? Is that the impression that you get from the parable? So how much should we be giving and where should we be giving it? Well, here's the instruction in the Bible that on, on, on uh, how much Christians should give of their income. It's from the book of 2 Corinthians. And here's what it says there. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, we are not compelled to give uh, any certain amount. We are not ordered to give uh, X dollars. Um, And the promise here is that God will continue to supply so that we can continue to do even more good works with our money. As to where to give, personally, most of my giving goes to uh, Clearwater Church because uh, I believe that Clearwater Church is a good investment in my my giving and that uh, the the money is being put to good use. And Clearwater gives a portion of that to other ministries, both uh, here locally and around the world. Um, I've also been a compassion sponsor for more than 30 years. And my family and I are currently supporting uh, two kids, a boy in Rwanda and a girl in Brazil. Um, We also give monthly support to a missionary friend in Thailand. And we make occasional contributions to the International College of Bible Admissions in Johannesburg, where I used to teach. Um, and uh, we believe that all of those are good investments of the money that God has given to us. And those are better investments than all the things I'd like to buy for myself. <laughs> um, And even though I do sometimes feel greedy desires creeping up in my heart, I think that giving significantly to these causes has helped me to be safe from the sin of greed. But I need to remember Jesus' warning. Watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And the Apostle Paul's warning that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So don't fall for the deceptiveness of greed. Use your money to do great things to make a difference in the world. Use your money to seek His kingdom. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for warning us about uh, this spiritual danger, and we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be your agents of good in the world. I pray, Lord, that we would heed that warning and that we would take that opportunity so that we can uh, see your kingdom advancing, that your will will be done and that people will bless you uh, because of the generosity of your people. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.